Take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, we're making great progress as we work through this wonderful book about, uh, about things yet to come. Uh, there are only 22 chapters in the book. We've really covered the great majority of the book already, now in chapter 15. And God willing, by the end of tonight, we'll be through chapter 15. Chapter 15 is actually the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It's only eight verses long. And uh, at this point in our study, the midway point of the tribulation is coming to an end. Of course, the tribulation period is only seven years in length. So the first three and a half years we've already covered, we've studied it. And now we're coming here to chapter 15, and it really does set the stage for the final judgments of God upon the world, upon rebellious mankind that just won't do the will of God. And at this point in the tribulation period, though, uh, there still will be more people who will trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, Thessalonians, Paul uh, talked to the Thessalonians about, uh, about this period of time, and he said that God was going to send them a strong delusion. And, uh, and I believe that delusion, in some part, well could be that they, began to, they begin to take the mark of the beast to buy and sell, and uh, they worship the beast, the Antichrist, and, uh, and God, of course, as we studied in the last couple of weeks, God tells us that when a person does that, that there is no forgiveness for that. Uh, they have made their final decision, and they will suffer the, the wrath and judgment of Almighty God upon them, and ultimately they'll suffer in hell for all of eternity. So it really is a sad, sad truth that uh, uh, that will take place someday here in the future. Here in uh, chapter 15, uh, the vile judgments are touched upon. Now, we'll look at those in detail in chapter 16. We'll not get, those, get to those at all this evening. But now we're going to return to more of a chronological. Things start to get in order again. Remember, last week we looked at uh, the previous chapter, chapter 13, and it was kind of a, an overview of the things that had been taking place. And uh, now we're getting back to more of a chronological view. But let's, let's look at it here because uh, it really reveals some truths about the wrath of Almighty God. Revelation chapter 15, I'll begin reading in verse number 1. I'll read all the way down through verse number 8, and then we'll pray. It says this in Revelation 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels having the seven last plagues. These are the last ones. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle or the habitation of the testimony, the evidence. Uh, It could even be uh, 
spoken of as the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, in heaven were, was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles, uh, very much uh, dressed in a similar attire as Old Testament uh, Hebrew priests. Okay, verse number seven. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials. The word vials can be translated bowls. Full, notice what they're full of, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were were fulfilled. Let's pray this evening. This really is another marvelous look into the throne room of heaven. And actually, we get a glimpse into the temple that is in heaven. And many scholars believe that the temples and the tabernacles of earth that God gave very precise measurements for are only replicas of the temple in heaven. Uh, And we'll see it from our text. It has the idea of the Holy of Holies, a place where no man can go, even in heaven, at this time, for those three and a half years of the last, the great part of the tribulation, the fiercest time of tribulation on earth, well, God, the wrath of God, is poured out upon rebellious mankind. We'll see that tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, meet with us tonight, I pray. I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit and your word, will teach us. Comfort us, I pray. Encourage our hearts. May our hearts be full of joy and thankfulness for your salvation. And yet also, Father, may our stomachs turn as we, as we consider uh, mankind, rebellious mankind, unbelieving mankind, uh, coming face to face someday with your wrath. Father, I pray you'd help us to be salt and light in these days. Use us, I pray, to turn, to point, to turn people to Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As, we, as you study this book, I think, and as I'm studying this book, I'm beginning to understand the meaning of some of these signs. Uh, I think for many of us, as we started this study, I remember asking you, how many of you have ever read through the book? And most of you had not. I asked, how many of you have studied the book? And there were just maybe a handful or less who had done that. And it's understandable because when we first start reading in Revelation, there's a bunch of things that are a little uncommon. I mean, the Bible can be challenging to study by itself, but Revelation seems to take it, sometimes it seems to take it to another level of difficulty. And for that reason, many believers choose not to read it or study it. And, uh, and I think even many pastors choose not to preach on it. And in some ways, it's just easier not to. But I'm reminded of chapter 1 in verse number 3, where it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the word of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You know, as you and I study the word of God, especially in the book of Revelation, we can stand before God and and say with a clear conscience, we've read this book, the book of Revelation. Lord, we, we have heard the words of your prophecy. And Lord, we're keeping them in our hearts. 
We're obeying where we can obey. And the things that are prophetic that we've, we don't live through, God, we're keeping them in our hearts. And I hope that you're doing that. Or, uh, do you believe, uh, let me ask you this, do you believe that sin deserves death? Do you believe that that is a, an acceptable consequence for sin? It is. It's, it's an acceptable consequence for sin because the Bible, God has deemed it so. Uh, of course, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us the wages, the payment for sin is death. It's an acceptable consequence for sin. Do you believe mankind's rebellion deserves the wrath of Almighty God? Last week in our, our study in chapter 14, it talked about the wine press, you remember, of God's wrath. And, and it was kind of an overview. We haven't gotten to the Battle of Armageddon yet. We haven't gotten to that second coming of Jesus Christ where he comes not as a lamb to suffer, bleed, and die on a cross to bring salvation to whosoever will. But that's the first coming. The second coming, he's going to come back as Lord of lords and King of kings. And he's going to come back with a fierceness And uh, he's going to come back to conquer the earth once and for all. Uh, Do you believe that rebellious mankind deserves the wrath of God? Do you believe that God is just to levy his wrath against mankind who have rejected Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is yes, he is just. This small chapter, just eight verses, starts out, talking about the wrath of God. And then at the end, in the very last, in verse number 8, it again talks about the wrath of Almighty God. And I have to tell you, as I have read and been studying the book of Revelation and preaching it to you, and I wish that it hadn't been spread out over such a long period of time. This is only the 22nd message I've preached on this book. But we've been at it for over a year. There have been many interruptions that have kind of kept us from our study. And I really wish we could have kept a little bit tighter together. I think it would have helped all of us. But as I've been studying it, it really is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, I don't think without, I don't think it's possible without the book of Revelation to rightly, to have a right perspective of who Jesus Christ is. We can read about him in the Gospels, born in a manger of a virgin, and, and living a sinless life, and doing miracles, feeding the 5,000, and, and making blame, uh, lame men walk, and blind men see, and raising Lazarus from the dead. And we can say, wow, he, Jesus, is the Christos. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. But nowhere else in the Bible, at least in the detail that we see in Revelation, do we see Christ as as Lord, as supreme authority, righteous and holy, and executing judgment upon rebellious mankind. Sometimes we just go through our lives as believers, and we we have the mindset, I think, sometimes that I'm saved thanks to the love of God and and the sacrifice that we have through Jesus Christ. and, And he loved me so much, he sent his only son to die for me, and Jesus did that. Sometimes we go through our lives and we allow sin to creep in and and the wickedness of our world to creep into our lives and we don't realize, I think, how much God hates 
sin. And as I've studied this book, it's reminded me of that. It really has. So look with me, if you would, at verse number one. We'll start there. And I want to notice, first of all, by noticing some important truths about the wrath of God. Notice in verse number one, John says, And I saw another sign in heaven. So that's the scene. It's in heaven. Great and marvelous. Uh, has the idea of astonishing, marvelous, astonishing, or amazing. So what he's saying is amazing. And he says, seven angels having the seven last plagues or calamities, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. The, the words filled up come from one word, teleo. Uh, you remember Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished, to telestike, same root word, uh, and it has the idea of it is finished. The, in other words, these are the last calamities. We've seen quite a few of them. We don't have the screen up tonight behind me, but you remember the different judgments that we've looked at, the seal judgments, and then the trumpet judgments in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And then remember those ones we have, it's taken us so long to get to, the vile judgments or the bull judgments. And the, the picture, and we'll bring it up in, in the next couple of weeks, but the picture is of these bulls poured out on one side and flames pouring out. I had talked to Pastor Burden some time ago, and, and I, I'm not a, a photographer, but I had an idea for him. And I said, you know, I was thinking maybe we could have like a bowl and you could light something on fire and pour it out and take a picture of it for, for something for the screen, you know. He hasn't taken me up on that. I don't, maybe you want to do it at my house. I don't know. But he hasn't taken me up on that. But that's the idea. Uh, what's being poured out of these bowls is awful and destructive. And it's just pouring out upon the earth. And every one of these vials, there's seven of them, has a different judgment that is going to be meted out upon the earth. So he sees another sign uh, it means wonder. Uh, look back with me to chapter 12 and verses 1 and 3 for just a moment. Because when it says here in verse 1, another sign or another wonder in heaven, <clears throat> great and marvelous, another connects it with some other, some other sign that John has seen. And, and this is actually in verse 1 of chapter 15. This is the third sign that he's seen. You're in chapter 12. Look with me in verse number 1. And there appeared a great wonder. That word wonder is the same word used in chapter 15 in verse 1. It means sign. Uh, And there appeared a great sign in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. You remember we identified who this woman was. Can anyone remember who she is? Israel. Who said that? Great job, Mrs. Green. Bonus points for you. All right. And then uh, in verse 2, it says, And she, Israel, being with child, and that would be Jesus, uh, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Now, there's the second wonder, the second sign in verse 3. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Who's the dragon? Yes, 
It is Satan. Okay, I saw some hands over here. It is Satan. So there are two wonders we've already looked at. And now we're in chapter 15 in verse 1. And this is the third wonder that, uh, that, that we're going to see in our, from our text. Again, the woman represents Israel in verse 1 of chapter 12. The great red dragon represents Satan in chapter 12 and verse 3. And this third sign is described as great and marvelous, though. That, he didn't use those words with the first two wonders. Uh, astonishing, amazing, almost horrible. So this third sign is revealing the final acts of God's judgment upon the earth. And to John, they're astonishing. Now, after all he's seen, I mean, think about what we've studied. Think about what we've read about already. We've read about some astonishing things. Some horrible things, some incredible things. And yet John at this point says, what I saw was astonishing. And it's this final judgment of God upon the earth. You know, God has inflicted judgment upon the earth, upon different groups of people before. This won't be the first time. Uh, I'm reminded, and I just jotted down a couple of them, but I'm reminded of some of God's judgments upon the earth How about when he judged the people at the Tower of Babel? God brought judgment upon them. Man was doing what they wanted to do. Careful of that attitude. And God wasn't for it, and he brought judgment upon them and dispersed them. I'm reminded he judged the world by sending a global flood. Boy, that was a wicked time in the world. A time of rebellion and idolatry, and God sent judgment upon the world. He judged, he, he, he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, do you remember? Those cities that were wicked. And he destroyed them completely. He incinerated them with everybody inside. You remember Lot and his wife and his daughters were spared, but no one else was spared. I'm just wanting to, you to think through this tonight. We're talking about the wrath of Almighty God. And it's one thing, we can come here tonight and I can read about it and we can just kind of go on with our 2017 mindset of, you know what, Uh, you do whatever you want to do, I'll do whatever I want to do. God's love and he'll understand someday. God has judged unrighteousness in the past and he's going to judge unrighteousness in the future and it grieves him greatly when you and I as his children don't obey him and honor him and know him when he's given us his word to know him by because we're too busy or caught up in other things. He judged Jerusalem, that great city in A.D. 70, and it was sacked. It was conquered in A.D. 70. He judged Israel for almost 2,000 years because of their idolatry and immorality. But what is introduced to us here in Revelation 15 is going to be God's final act of judgment upon the earth. It's the result of God's wrath. You see it there in verse 1 of of chapter 15. It's the result of God's wrath being filled up, coming to an end. Maybe a poor way to say it would be this, but maybe someone said to you, that's it. That's, that's it. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You, you stop it right now. We maybe said that to our kids or something like that. The wrath of Almighty God is filled up. It is 
teleo, it is finished. He's not going to put up with anything else. And up to this point, even in the tribulation period, and certainly in this age in which you and I are living, we have known the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the long-suffering of God. And and in our world today, people, especially unsaved people, seem to be able to do whatever they want to do, and there seems to be no judgment for it. And the reason it seems like that is because really there isn't. I mean, there are consequences if you drink alcohol and you go out and drive intoxicated and you run into something or someone, you can kill someone else or kill or hurt and maim yourself, suffer loss financially, but that's just a natural consequence. You reap what you sow. But really, the day in which you and I are living in, unsaved mankind can live however they want, and God, they are not, at this point in history, facing the judgment of Almighty God. Now, they will someday, if they die in their sins, they will faith, face the wrath and judgment of Almighty God in hell forever and ever, for all of eternity. But there's coming a day, even on this earth, and that's what we're reading about just getting into in chapter 15, where mankind, there's coming a day where mankind is not, God is not going to give them more mercy, or more time, or more grace. Now, now remember with me just for a moment, he's used Israel throughout the Old Testament to point people to the one true God. Rahab got the message. He's used uh, the local church uh, since uh, uh, Jesus was here and started it in Pentecost, it's birthed, and, and he's used the local church to point people to Christ, and we've been told to be witnesses unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the rapture takes place, someday yet to come, and... God sends two witnesses to the earth during the tribulation period, and they begin to proclaim the truth. And and out of those two men, those two witnesses, he has 144,000 Hebrew men, virgins, you remember, and they speak the truth, and they live blameless lives, and they proclaim the, the gospel of redemption. And a great awakening is taking place on the face of the earth. And then they're uh, taken out of the picture. And then you remember last week we, we saw from God's word, God sends an angel to fly through the heavens and pro- proclaim the word of God and the gospel. And you remember what he says? He tells people to fear God and worship God to a world that hasn't and doesn't. God has gone to great lengths to give people time. We see his mercy replete, even throughout this book. But at this point, he says no more time. For a Christian, we see in verse 2, and we just touch on this as we're getting started, but in verse 2 we see, for a Christian, death is victory. In verse 1 we see that it's some important truths about the wrath of God. It's, his, his time has come for his wrath. Notice verse number 2, we see some believers, some martyred saints of the tribulation period. John says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, the sea of glass might well be the same sea of glass that we studied about back in chapter 4 in verse number 6. In chapter 4 and verse 6, we studied about this. We were in the throne room of God. Do you remember that? In the green rainbow round about the, the emerald rainbow round about the throne. And it says this in chapter 4 and verse 6. 
And before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. So this seems to be in the throne room of God. And this sea of glass, there's fire, and it may refer to the trial of fire that the tribulation saints had gone through. Or maybe some others think it might refer to lightning of judgment that's coming upon the earth. Uh, But who are these people who are standing on this sea of glass in heaven before the Lord? Well, they have to be believers, okay, because... To be there, they have to be born again. They have to have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior by the grace of God through faith. Or they wouldn't be standing before God. But they aren't uh, the saints of our day. Because remember, the church will have been raptured. It's gone. So who are these people? Well, they're the saints who were martyred during the tribulation. These are people who received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior during the tribulation period who have been put to death by the Antichrist and all of those people who serve him during the tribulation period, and now they stand here before God on this sea of glass. Um, And it says there in the middle part of verse 2 that they've gotten the victory over the beast. And they've gotten the victory over his image. And they've gotten the victory over his mark and over the number of his name. And it's interesting that especially during the second half of the tribulation, the beast and the false prophet are going to kill all those who refuse to worship the image of the beast and refuse to receive the mark of the beast. And so there's going to be a great number of people saved during the tribulation, but many of God's people those who follow Jesus Christ and refuse to take the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, are going to be persecuted and even put to death, and it's going to be terrible. So again, it says there, he sees this sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. You know, you know that death is... It means victory for God's people. That's foreign to us. And God has made us to fight, you know, for for life. When someone's sick and has a disease, God's made us to, to keep pursuing life. And we ought to do that. We ought not seek to we ought not seek to give our life up or give up on life. But Death is actually victory for God's people. How could these tribulation saints who are standing before the Lord on this sea of glass be victorious over the Antichrist? How is that victory to be killed during the tribulation? How is that victory for them? And the answer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. I'll read it to you. It says this. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death was conquered by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When a Christian dies at the hand of the Antichrist or an anti-Christian dictator, it looks from a human perspective that they've been defeated, doesn't it? Unsaved people living during the tribulation are going to think that the Antichrist is defeating all those who are true Christians as he puts them to death. 
and all those who will not deny Jesus Christ, those who would rather die than to forsake the name of Jesus Christ, will be viewed by the unsaved world as defeated. Radicals who needed to be purged from society so we could have one world unity. But in reality, the Antichrist will be sending them out of this broken world to be with their Lord and Savior, their King, forever and ever. Do you have a biblical perspective on life? A person who isn't indwelt by the Spirit of God can't understand the blessings of God. If, if an unsaved man doesn't incur blessings in this life and a lot of stuff, he considers that defeat. He doesn't realize that what a man gains in this life is really inconsequential in comparison to the gains in the life to come. One great blessing that is given to these martyred saints is the crown of life. It's talked about in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. You remember we studied the church at Smyrna. And you remember Smyrna means crushed. And he talked, and as Christ commended that church, he had no word of rebuke for that church as they suffered great persecution and death. And there have been many churches throughout church history who have, been, who have suffered persecution like that. But, but Christ identifies and he says, your suffering has given off a sweet smell, a sweet odor that's pleasing to me. So often in our society today, we, we, we struggle to even give up little niceties of life. We struggle to give up. We, we struggle to give Christ proper place in our life and and give him the time whenever there's a conflict between him and one of our other passions or uh, one of our other hobbies. We struggle at that. We we balk at that. But these believers who who have lived on this earth and who will live on this earth during times like this, they they give their lives willingly, and they're not going to bow to and worship the Antichrist, and they're not going to take the mark of the Antichrist because Jesus Christ is their king. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to tell you something. You know what? They're going to have this prophecy. And so if they know the word of God, they might have some or have access to it. They might have an idea of what's taking place. But for many of them, it is going to be absolutely a walk of faith one day at a time. And there will be some husbands coming home and saying, Honey, I don't know what to do. Should I take the mark? I can't take the mark, honey. See what I'm saying? This is going to be a real thing. We read about it. And we, well, we're not going to be there. It doesn't really affect us at all. And by the way, friends, for those of us who are living in this age who will not go through this time that we're studying about, you and I have a responsibility how we live our lives in this life, how we worship the Lord, that, Jesus Christ, with the freedoms that we have. This is a very real trial that these people are going to go through, but, but really death is victory. All those who die in this life for their faith in Jesus Christ are going to be given a special position someday throughout the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Notice in verse number 3 we continue. It says that these individuals, these martyred tribulation saints, in verse 3 it says that they sing... They're in front of the throne of God. They're on this great sea of of glass. And in verse 3 it says that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. 
Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Look again at the beginning part, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Uh, What was the song of Moses and of the Lamb? Well, just because they sing the song of Moses, I want to make this point, doesn't mean that they're Hebrew. Um, I think at this point you're going to have both many Jews being saved and Gentiles being saved. It doesn't mean that they're only Israelites. The song of Moses was and is a song of victory. Uh, In fact, look back there, Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. This is a wonderful song. The people of Israel sang, after God delivered them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Do you remember that? You remember that? They were in bondage in Egypt, and God delivered them, and, and, uh, and they sing a wonderful song of worship and praise to the Lord. Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 1. I'll start there. I hope you're turning in your Bibles. You're going to want to see it with your own eyes. I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 1 says this, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the And spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them, they sank as lead in the mighty waters." Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, and the mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountains of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. 
The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Now you can turn back to Revelation chapter 15, but I want to tell you something. Someday, during the second half of the tribulation period, in the throne room of God Almighty, on a great sea of glass, like glass, are going to stand the tribulation saints, not Israelites, and they are going to sing that song to God Almighty. And it is a song of victory. It is a song of deliverance. Now think with me about what they'll have gone through. They're the ones who are going to be living on the earth while everything is falling apart. Disasters, uh, cataclysmic events of all kinds, wars of all kinds, hatred running rapid, uh, rampant throughout the earth, uh, the world leader hunting them down one by one, by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, and putting them to death. And they're going to live through all of that. And you can imagine being a human being, the fear that they're going to go through. And then they're going to be standing here before God Almighty, having lived through all of that, and they're going to sing a song of victory. It's a song of victory because death is victory for God's people. I think to understand the song of Moses, we have to recall the events that left them helplessly trapped against the Red Sea. You remember Pharaoh had released the children of Israel. He repented of his decision and he begins to pursue them furiously. The children of Israel realize their plight. They are trapped. You remember the army of Pharaoh behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. It's uncrossable. They had no way out, and so Moses looked to God for deliverance. And the Lord divided the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went across on dry ground. And when the Egyptian forces attempted to follow them through the Red Sea, that channel on dry ground that God had supernaturally opened up, when the Egyptian forces tried to follow, God collapsed the waters and he drowned them. God crushed them in the waters of the Red Sea. The people of Israel were, you can imagine, naturally overwhelmed because what looked like a complete disaster at the hands of a cruel king was suddenly turned to victory. And the response of the Israelites was to lift up their hearts and mouths and praise to Almighty God, to Jehovah. And that exactly parallels the response of these tribulation saints as they stand before the throne of God And they realize that they are forever out of the clutches of the Antichrist and out of the clutches of a world really dominated by Satan during that time. And they're going to stand before God Almighty and they're going to sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. In heaven, Jesus Christ is worshipped as God. Notice in verse number 3 as they sing about this this song of the Lamb. In verse 3, the middle part Their song is great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And so they're going to lift their voices and sing the song of Moses, a song of, but not only that, 
they're going to sing a song of spiritual redemption by the blood of the Lamb. And they couple this song of Moses. Uh, someday they'll couple this song of Moses with the song of praise to the Lamb of God. Look at the characteristics that they uh, attribute to the Lamb. In, in verse number 3, the, latter, the middle part, he said, they, they recognize that he's the creator. They say, great and mighty are thy works, Lord God Almighty. They recognize him as just. Just and true are thy ways. They recognize that he's worthy of worship. Thou king of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? They recognize him as holy, for thou only art holy. They recognize him as omnipotent and eternal, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. I believe with all my heart that the most pitiful people in the world are the people that just don't understand who Jesus is. The book of Revelation should be studied. There have been times as I've taught this book, and Cindy could probably attest to this, where I've struggled. Some books of the Bible are easier to preach through than others. It always is fun for a pastor to preach on a passage where we're all... We all got goosebumps or our, we're all wiping tears away and, or we're, it's so easily applicable. Revelation is a bit of a challenge for you and for me because for the most part, we're not going to be here. And yet you and I ought to study it because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me on that? In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, in verse 1, the very beginning, the very first words of the book are this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's who he is. Who is your Lord? Who saved you? Who do you live for? Who do you worship? And we would answer, well, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior, and And I worship him alone, and and I'm a follower of him. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, a little Christ. Many of us would say that is our goal. That is what we desire. That is what we long for. That is our passion. And sometimes, though, we're we're tempted in other ways, and we fall, and we get back up, and we sometimes crawl on our hands and knees, and yet we continue to pursue him. And yet I ask you, do you know him? I hope as we've been studying this book, you've been paying close attention to him. Because as we're studying these passages like this, the wrath of Almighty God, you and I need to know this. And our children need to know him as this. Lest they know him as that. Or our grandchildren know him as that. The midpoint of the tribulation period, preparation is going to be made in heaven for the great tribulation And they call it that, some scholars call it that, because the last three and a half years get much more intense than the first three and a half years. The fierceness of his wrath. The winepress of his wrath. Notice in verse number five. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle, of the testimony in heaven was opened. So the temple is opened of of a habitation. Tabernacle has the idea of a place of habitation. And the insinuation is of the Lord. But it says the testimony in heaven was opened. 
I'll remind you very briefly of Exodus chapter 25 and verse 16, where God was giving instructions to his people about the Ark of the Covenant. He says, and thou shalt put into the Ark the testimony. Can anybody remember what they put in the Ark? The Ten Commandments. Here it says, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, the evidence. And again, the word has the idea of decalogue. In heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts, you remember we studied those angelic beings, those creations of God that are there in the throne room of God, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, those bowls full of the wrath of God. God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke. Why? From the glory of God. Why? And from His power, the power of God. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. It really is an awesome sight that John saw. You know that God has always kept his covenant with Israel, and he always will with, keep his covenant with whomever he enters into a covenant agreement with. We who are saved have a covenant agreement with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He calls it the new covenant, the New Testament. It's in his blood. There are some who say that the tabernacle of the temple of God is the holy of holies here in verse number 5. This seems to be the dwelling place of Almighty God. Think about the significance that's attached to this scene. During the last three and a half years of the tribulation, God will be dealing with the earth in judgment. And these are the final judgments of the tribulation. I'll close with this. What is God's purpose for the great tribulation? Number one, it's to destroy those who worship Antichrist. Number two, it's to turn mankind from the rebellion to worship Jesus Christ. Number three, it's to break the stubborn will of the nation of Israel. So they will repent of their rejection of the Messiah and plead for his return.